to Natural MD Radio, your place to hear the whole truth on health and medicine for women and children and get the tools you need to take back your health naturally starting now. I'm Dr. Aviva Ram. Welcome back to Natural MD Radio. This is Aviva Ram, and today I have with me a very special and interesting guest. Amanda Steinberg launched Daily Worth in 2009 to bring a fresh voice and an outsider's perspective to personal finance. Now, don't yawn, ladies. This is really important. Oprah selected her to the exclusive Super Soul 100. Forbes named her one of 21 New American Money Masters. Amanda has appeared on GMA, Today, CNN, and MSNBC. Her digital investing service, Worth FM, received front page coverage in the New York Times business section. She's the author of a book that I am really excited about because it's accessible finance for us, for women, and it's so important. It's called Worth It, Your Life, Your Money, Your Terms, and it's due out next week in February 2017. All you mamas who are listening today, I know I try to keep the show language PC, but for the record, we have two New Yorkers on the line talking about women and money. So this might be a show where some three, four, and five letter words that you don't want your kids to hear do get dropped. So this might be one natural MD radio show to not listen to in the car with your toddler as I know so many of you love to do. For the rest of you ladies, I know you can handle it. So one of the things that is so special about my guest today is not only is she a kick-ass, see, there I go, three-letter word, kick-ass, said it again, entrepreneur, and a mom, but she has something going on that I would say, from my experience working with women over 32 years, and my own experience as a woman most of us just don't have together. And that is, she's comfortable with money and she knows how to handle it. So Amanda, thank you for being here with me today and dropping your experience, wisdom, and knowledge on a lot of women who I know are hungry for this topic and need this topic. It is my absolute pleasure, and I, I got answers for you. I've, I got lots to share, so let's do this. Okay, cool. So there's, I just want to just jump right in. So I was raised by a very independent, self-defined feminist single mom, you know, back in the 60s, 70s. And I mean, this woman, she worked two jobs. She really, she was really independent. And that was an incredibly powerful example for me. But somewhere lurking in the backdrop And I've seen this, you know, I've kind of watched some episodes of this show that a friend told me about called Girlfriend's Guide to Divorce. And we've all kind of seen this in Sex and the City. And it's a pervasive thing, which is even though we're being independent women, hopefully, somewhere lurking in the backdrop is this princess rescue fantasy, right? Like even for me, I mean, I'm my husband and I work together, but I'm the brand, I'm the creative, I'm the primary income person in the family. And yet every now and then I'll get these kind of resentful, like, well, why isn't he doing this? Or I want to be rescued or I want to get taken care of. And, you know, I think that part of it, it's like some kind of an evolutionary biological thing that just doesn't fit anymore. It's an evolutionary mismatch. But I wonder, like, on your own path, you're... It's actually not, it's actually not evolutionary. I'm going to so, correct that for you. Please, I'm going to explain to you what happened. Yeah, like, it's not evolutionary. Us. It's just a couple 
years old. But so tell us, like, do you did you ever struggle with this princess rescue thing? Do you ever struggle with it? What is that, and how do we get over it? You know, I didn't because I was raised by a single mom who um, shook me lovingly and just said, you will never depend on a man because she was struggling so much. And that's really what shaped so much of what I do and why I do it. Um, But I did realize later on in life when I still went deep into debt because of a business I was growing and a house that I bought, that I was hoping my ambition would be my rescue fantasy, that I would out earn all of my problems. And it simply doesn't work that way. Um, but believe it or not, I like to think it's evolutionary because it makes it easy for us to disassociate and go up. Oh, I'm just wired that way. But actually, the idea that money became a man's job and really only happened in the 1870s when trains enabled men to leave the home to go to work. Before that, everything was like the family store, the family farm, and everything was managed more together. These stories that we tell about um, hard wiring aren't true. It's um, It's a much more recent socialization where Everything that was money and rational, et cetera, happened outside of the home and everything that was domestic and nurturing happened inside the home. So the reason why we have so much conflict is that because to be feminine and our cultural norms are, I believe, even more powerful than our family norms in terms of what um, shapes our identities these days. And our, our, our cultural norms are such that in order to be a good woman, a good girl, as many of us used to be, we... To be interested in money, um, which was a man's domain, was in direct contradiction of what it meant to be feminine. So the reason why we still feel this way is because, you know, who doesn't want to fit in? Who doesn't want to be loved? Who doesn't want to make sense within the family unit? And for the last couple hundred years, it's become such that money was explicitly counter to being feminine. And that's why we have a lot of those feelings. Thank you for saying all that. It just brings up so many thoughts for me. For one, I read a book many years ago. It's one of the best feminist histories that I've read. And it's um, something like Women in America, History of Women in America. And it actually talks about 1950s World War or 1940s, 1950s World War II into post-World War II America. And during the war, I mean, women were holding down pretty much every business in the country. And that's kind of where we got Rosie the Riveter, right? And then even suburbanization was sort of meant to take women further away from urban centers where women could have jobs and keep women in the home. And I I think a lot of my modeling, you know, given when I was born kind of came from that post-war construct rather than like, wow, let's look at women in the workforce in the 1940s, which was, and my grandmother was actually in that workforce too. Yeah, it's um, the the more you get into the history of seeing how these delineations occurred and manifested and the ways in which women have suffered as a result of it, you'll get quite angry. (laughs) Well, it's It's deep and it's intentional and uh, yeah, yeah. So you, you said something else that I thought was really powerful and resonates so much with what I talk about in my new book. And we're going to talk about your new book, too. But in my new book, I talk about fear and childhood programming and how sometimes these early experiences we have can send us into patterns that become survival patterns that can be really, really fantastic, right? Like you or me being raised by single moms and us becoming super ambitious women in a way to out earn and create security uh, from the situations or the problems that we came from. And in the book, I talk about how 
that can become maladaptive. Like we stay on this get, get, get train or um, have, have, have train and never quite realize that we've accomplished it and we're safe and we can sort of settle in. But one of the um, things that you, you talk about is fitting in and who doesn't want to fit in. And that is also part of this sort of survival mode that I talk about. What I found so fascinating as a woman who has been ambitious most of my life is how much pushback I have at times not just gotten from men, but from other women. So for example, when my kids were little and I was, you know, the crunchy organic home birth mom, breastfeeding my kids, I actually had a couple of girlfriends who were like, well, you know, Aviva, really probably you shouldn't be trying to go to medical school. You should probably be home with your kids. And so it caused me a lot of actually inner conflict and stress. And I just wonder what you see, you know, and we talked the other day about how when I was the executive, I was the president of a non for not for profit organization. And at some point made my husband the executive director. That's another story. But sometimes when I would have to go to board meetings and present an idea, I would say to my husband, Hey, can you present this idea? Because if I present it with authority, it's Aviva the bitch. But if you present it with even like anything, it's sure, what can we do? Like, we'll do anything you want. And and often it was women on the board. Yeah, I'm going back part about parenting and 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 pressure. I don't it is. It's either that I've developed um, a serious lack of interest in other people's opinions, <laughs> um, or I just had so much resolve about um, doing what I needed to do my way. I don't know what it is, but I I didn't get a lot of that probably because I probably wouldn't wouldn't have listened to it in the first place. Um, tell, tell me more about uh, that. Yeah, I mean. Everyone always says like, you know, you have to breastfeed, you know, obviously breastfeeding children is better. I have to tell, I had a nervous breakdown after I had my first son and my breastfeeding lasted for me for eight weeks. And then we switched to bottle feeding and I've always been the, in a breadwinner role and I've always been um, really ambitious. And I really just kind of, you know, I was bottle fed and I never, I knock on wood, I never get sick. You know, both of my children are now bottle fed kids and my son just complained to me yes a few days ago, mom, I never get sick. Why is it all these kids get days off from school? I'm so healthy. I'm the unluckiest 10 year old on earth. And, um, <laughs> I just kind of, there was a part of me that was like, you know what? I know it would be ideal. And I live in a really crunchy neighborhood in Philadelphia, um, where it's like everyone breastfeeds till the kids are one. And I just didn't, I just really let go of all the guilt and shame around what I was and wasn't doing because I knew, um, what I wanted my life to look like. And, uh, and you just can't sweat these details. It's, I, I've just developed a, a way of not, um, not internalizing what other people think. I don't know how you develop that muscle, but fortunately I've been able to do it. That is so powerful. I love hearing that. I think guilt and shame are so huge for women and they keep us from taking risks on ourselves. You know, the good kind of risks that can really push us forward. So for women who have lost touch with their ambition or are afraid of their ambition, can you speak to how to reconnect with that? I mean, it sounds like you have never lost touch with that, but I'm sure that in your work, because you have what, a million women subscribers to Daily Worth, how, how, what do you see rising up for women around ambition and, and how can you uh, offer words of wisdom toward that? Well, actually, um, I'm divorced now. And when I was married, um, there was obviously a lot of conflict because of my ambition. And so I actually did go to therapy for two years because I thought there was something wrong with me. 
And, uh, and I wanted to change to be a better wife and a better mother. Um, and what I realized was that trying to change myself and deny what was really important to me actually made me a depressed, sad person. Um, and looking back now that I am in an incredible relationship for six years with someone who loves who I am, as opposed to it not working in the relationship. And, um, and you know, what happens when you start to get in touch with your ambition, it's really your, your dreams and your passion and you become a happier person. Um, and so I would say, I encourage you to get in touch with your ambition and then start to experience what it's like living into it. You won't go back because you'll start to feel alive because it's who you actually are, as opposed to putting on these masks and playing small because you think you're supposed to. It's so interesting because in the research that I've just spent the last year doing on the impact of the adrenal stress system on our psychology and our outlook on life, you know, so many of us stress out because we're stressed out all the time and think that that is contributing to our poor sleep, poor health, our weight problems. And it is if we're overly stressed out. But what's really fascinating is that at the other end of the spectrum, you can have just as many symptoms and the same system going into dysfunction that actually on a physiologic level leads to depression, anxiety, sleep problems, stress eating, by actually being understimulated, bored, and not fulfilling your potential. And there's just this beautiful sweet spot of finding that drive and finding that ambition and living in that that can keep us really healthy. And that's, that's kind of what I'm hearing you're saying. In the Feminine Mystique, the book from the late 1950s, I think, yeah, I think very Betty, early Betty 60s, Frieden. written by Betty Friedan. Yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. She, she talks a lot about... Um, how sick women get who from staying when they become stay at home moms, not all. I mean, there are plenty, I have plenty of stay at home mom friends who love it, but for some women, because they are bored and understimulated, the physical impacts that that can have. Yeah. It translates to the children too. I mean, kids read not just what we say, but what we do, they read our facial expression. So I'm really, even though I'm, you know, home birth, mama, midwife, um, you know, kind of authority leader role model for women. I'm really the first one to say, if you are not loving it, it's not only not good for you, but it's actually not really good for your kids either. So finding that place of balance where you're satisfied, it doesn't mean, you know, you become sort of this crazy selfish mom who ignores your kids. It doesn't, it's not an extreme. It's you can actually be happy and, and be a great mom. There's a, a book by um, Marion Wright Edelman, the, the great um, child advocate, civil rights lawyer that I read when my kids were little. And it's called My Mom Was a Working Mom and I Turned Out Okay. And I loved it because it was really actually about the close relationships that are often common in the African-American community where women have worked and not had, for the most part, the luxury of being stay-at-home moms. And it was such a powerful concept for me, actually. Yeah, absolutely. It's And something I never question. the ultimate parenting philosophy I've developed over the years is a happy mom is a happy kid. And so, you know, getting in touch with what works for you, that's, I think, the most important thing you can do for your kid. Because if you're trying to bend yourself to be what you're supposed to be for them, it's just going to be a disaster. Love that. So here's another thought. I mean, you you openly shared, and thank you for that, that you were in a marriage that just didn't work. And part of it sounds, I mean, there's always complexities to marriages, but part of it sounds like there was some disconnect between your ambitions, your needs, and you as a human being and what your partner's expectations and needs were. And 
you know, right now, statistically, more and more women are actually the primary breadwinners. And in my patient population, I see women and kids. I'm working with a lot of women who are not only the primary breadwinners, but are often making more money than their husbands. So their husbands are staying at home. And some really disturbing data is coming out on women who are the primary breadwinners, especially if they're making more money, and their partners, if they have a male partner who's staying home and minding the home, if he is doing more of the housework and more of the childcare, there's a disproportionately higher level of divorce. You know, what it's saying to me is that women are experiencing this incredible amount of pressure to not only be breadwinners, but to then go home and do everything that they were still doing in order to keep the peace with their male partner. And, you know, I wonder from your experience in this new relationship, in your old relationship, what you see with women, how can women sort of crush it in their work and still tend to those other issues? Because I know that there are issues around being worried about not emasculating their partner, not crushing their partner. You know, men are dealing with this new role of being at home. And I think that the male self-concept hasn't quite caught up with that. So there are like ego and identity issues for men, but this can really play out in a big way in marriages. So how can, or relationships, how can women deal with all of that? And should they even be worrying about whether they're crushing the partner just by being who they are? (laughs) Or is that sort of a sign? Maybe it's not a good fit. Like, and it's a complicated question, but I, uh, it really, the relationship was oh it was the breadwinner um in her second marriage beautiful second marriage which she's still in for now like 30 years um and she would also come home and cook and clean and um and they had a lot of peace and she accepted it and somehow she handled it gracefully i really don't know how she did it um i don't even think she would complain about it um but for some people and yes myself included where that pressure exists it's 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 breaking in a, in a sense. You know, I remember I would be standing in the kitchen at 1am packing my kids lunches for the next day because I was running daily worth as a startup. I had a newborn, a toddler, and I had a software engineering company, which was the one that paid the bills. I mean, that was two years of my life until my marriage ended and it was hell on earth. And, um, you know, but every couple is different. What I love right now is the fact that my partner and I live separately. He has two kids from a former marriage. I have two kids. Um, and I'm not advocating for divorce. I mean, gosh, I wish I had, you know, I was with the same person that I had had children with. Obviously, that's totally ideal. But um, but the fact that we live in two separate houses, um, about 10 blocks from each other, means that we have nights alone with our kids, which is really important to both of us. And then we have nights when it's just us. Um, and then we get each get nights when we're alone, which I also cherish. And, um, because of the custody agreements that we have, and I'm not saying this is better than, than marriage at all. I'm just saying there is another side to how relationships can play out and how your lives can be structured. That is, um, really kick ass. And, um, thank you for asking. Cause a lot of people don't even talk about it yet. You know, I have been with the same guy since I was 18. We've known each other since I was 15. So we're going on 33 years and he is so, gracious about really holding down the fort. You know, when I was working on my book or when I, uh, this past book, or when I was in medical school for, and residence, I mean, there could be weeks and I, and I love to cook. I love that nurturing. Um, but I equally love that kind of out in the world, empowered kind of earning and creating and doing. 
And he was fabulous about, you know, he's always been fabulous and uh, about weeks on end of cooking meals or shopping or, you know, I was in residency and we had three teenage girls at home at one time. So I'd come home and I'd hear, you know, someone, hey, dad, did you get the tampons? You know, so that really works for us. But I know it doesn't work. It doesn't work for everyone. But, you know, one of the things that I've noticed for myself and um, have even talked with my 28-year-old daughter, she's now been in a relationship with a really fabulous guy for several years, is how over time as women, we, just in relationships, I think we kind of fall into roles and ruts. And we were talking the other day and I said to you, I'm kind of brewing this article, book, something, something on... um, how to be married, but think like a single woman and how important that could be for a marriage. And you were like, that's a chapter in my new book. And I love that. And I want to talk about the book worth it. Oh my God. If there was ever just an amazing title for a book worth it, your money, your, your life, your money, your terms. So tell me about, first of all, this idea of being in a relationship, but not being codependent financially and why we as women, when we're actually often the ones more likely to be doing the spending and paying the bills, why do we become financially codependent? Yeah. And actually, I want to just go back and address something you had talked about um, a few minutes ago, which is that for some men, women engaging with finances is threatening. Um, And it does. And some men do feel emasculated by that process. And it's it's a very delicate situation um, where um, depending upon how much you love your husband and how much you want to stay married to him is how you manage. You know, we all know, we all have buttons and we all have insecurities. I know what my partner's is. He knows what mine is. Of course, part of loving someone is not pushing their buttons and not, you know, um, playing out their insecurities. So, um, when it comes to money though, the, the, so now we can go back into the question that you were asking, which is um, we, we fall into these relationships because it, for the last couple of hundred years, it really has been delineated in our cultural identity that money is a man's job and the home is a woman's job. And it, it, comes, it comes back to this deep desire to be accepted and to be recognized and to fit in because that is part of our survival. That's part of um, our strategy for making sure that we have a community and a family around us that loves us. But as a result of that, it creates this dependency for women on men where we then become trapped and infantilized to a certain extent, where we don't have control over our lives anymore and we don't have choices. And if our relationships do go sour, we don't have a choice but to stay. And that's a very dangerous place. And I've seen so many tragic stories of women who get divorced in their 40s and 50s and don't even know where their bank accounts live and have no idea how to make money. And, um, you know, there's plenty of people in happy marriages who aren't drawn to my work, um, and who are going to stay that way. And that's fine. I wish you the absolute best of luck for those of you who are interested in making sure that you are individually responsible or uh, able to create your own long-term security and understand what goes into that, whether you are married or happily married and unhappy or unmarried. Uh, that's, that's ultimately what I'm interested in is helping women, but there has to be a desire there. I can't really foster a desire in you. But if you have a desire, I can help you learn how to create that long-term security for yourself. And it's not just marriages that end in divorce. I mean, I agree there are so many marriages that stay unhappily together because of power and finan- largely financial dynamics and that sort of enmeshment that happens over property and, and money and, and so forth. 
but I've worked with many women in my practice. I have two women patients in my practice whose husbands passed away in 9-11. And all of a sudden, you know, these are women. One was pregnant with her kid, first kid. Another had three kids at home. And they were like, oh, shit, you know, this is not something I anticipated. And um, it's, I think, for all women knowing what our finances are, what our standing is. And then when women who do get divorced, statistically, my understanding is that, um, especially for stay-at-home moms, we end up living at something like 60% of our prior income. So it can mean, mean drastically changing your lifestyle if you're not in some level involved in at least, if not in control of your own finances. You don't have to be managing everything about the finances, but you have to understand it and where it lives and how much you have and what it means. And, and that's and it and I promise you that my book Worth It is a fun, entertaining, irreverent uh, guide to money, and it does not repeat any of the same old crap that we've heard. Sorry, I'm cursing again. I don't know if that's okay on your podcast. Totally. Um, that's why I gave the little disclaimer. <laughs> okay, good. Um, I think we've been pretty G-rated actually so far. Um, what what I what I detested over the years is, and the reason I started Daily Worth and wrote this book was I read every single book that was out. Do what they told me to do: create a budget, set goals, create financial plans, follow the plans, and it didn't work. It didn't resonate me. It didn't inspire me. It didn't motivate me. It felt like a chore, and it always felt like I was doing it wrong. So what I did in my book is I've spent the last eight years deconstructing all of that the financial advice paradigm and recreating in a way that's highly relatable and makes a lot of sense, no matter you, if you know anything about finance or not. Yeah, it's, I, you sent me a copy the other day, and I have had so much fun. First of all, kind of getting to know you in a way, not personally, obviously, but um, your voice is super strong. And at, on the one hand, I find reading it, you, you just have like this incredible lo level of transparency and humility and at the same time, just like this super level of empowerment and humor that just made me feel actually much more confident. I mean, even though I'm a, a major breadwinner and actually now I'm starting to make money, which is an amazing thing for me, I definitely do not have a handle on investing or, I mean, I'm just starting to learn, you know, I have an accountant now and I have a bookkeeper now, but even there I tend to turf those meetings off to my husband. And so, um, because I don't enjoy it. That's the thing is I just don't enjoy it. But, um, sometimes we kind of do need to own the things we don't enjoy. And I feel like your book makes it so, so possible. And one of the things that I feel is really might be surprising for readers is you're not saying just go make a bunch of money. You're not even really saying that. You're saying learn how to own your worth as a woman, but also learn how to know what your actual financial worth is. And you talk quite a bit about saving, and that is such a powerful you, – you really talk about not getting stuck in the trap of now that you have money, just spend it. So can you share with us – your own background? I mean, I know you talk about it in the book, but you kind of had your own epiphany that led you to shift your relationship to money, even though you were making it before you wrote this book. Yeah. My, my story is that I was raised by a single mom who uh, always made sure that I was independent and I thought I was doing everything right, but I didn't realize that earning was not the end game, that earning is ephemeral. I mean, this is completely logical now, obviously, um, but it was when I turned 30, I, I bought a house and I had a thriving software company, but they were both actually sending me into debt. 
I thought they were assets that I was investing in, but it, what's the, what the core premise of the book is a concept called roots and wings. And when I was growing up, um, you know, my mom, she didn't give me many rules. And this was always strange to me. Cause I was like, mom, why don't you, why do you let me eat sugar cereal and watch TV? None of the other kids are allowed to. And she said, Amanda, I believe you only need two things to thrive. The first is roots, which is a family that loves you. Um, and the second is wings, which is the confidence to know you can do anything. And she said, if I can give you those two things, I don't need to put a lot of rules on you. You'll have everything you need to be, to thrive in life. And I, what I've done in this book is I've applied that to finance by saying to women, all you need are roots and wings. And the first is roots, which are your assets. So the, there's three roots that we talk about in the book, owning a home, owning a business, and potentially an investment account or a retirement account, which is they're both investment accounts. So I package that into one. And the book is really about first understanding those roots and which roots you're going to build, because whether you make $30,000 a year or $300,000 a year, eventually that income will go away. So you want to understand how you're taking that income and growing value in your life, because that is what creates your long-term security. That's so just such powerful advice. It, you know, it's funny, the metaphors and the language that you and I use in each of our books, I've got something about hitting the reset button. You talk about roots. I talk about root causes. And we talk about the psychology of money and the psychology of our relationship to our life in the sense that who we, what our own roots were really shape how our relationship to money evolves. It's just so much richness in your book. And I find it so fascinating that two women, and we both kind of come from a single mom background, and I didn't know that until I read your book, um, but can write about money and health with similar language. And I just love how that kind of comes together. I have a sort of weird question for you, and I know it's going to make me sound like a little wackadoodle la la cuckoo, and maybe that's kind of unexpected for a Yale MD, but I want your take on something. And that is this whole sort of mm. law of attraction, you know, positive money thinking. And the reason I'm asking you about it is because I've had a couple of experiences in the past few years where I have set very specific financial intentions, kind of weird ones. Like when I came out of my medical training, I had, you know, it all sounds great to have a Yale MD and it's an awesome and cool story, but the reality is you still come out with like $250,000 in debt, which compounds, you know, and capitates to like actually $450,000 in debt by the time you pay it off at $3,000 a month. So I woke up one day and I looked at my husband and I said, you know, I really just need some like amazing something to happen in the universe where my financial debt to medical school on an annual basis is just paid off. I don't have to think about this. And I kid you not, when I tell you that that afternoon I got a phone call from a supplement company that I have worked with for years as um, in, in terms of I've, I've used their products in my family and my medical practice for years. And that day they said to me, um, hey, we'd really like to offer you a job as a consultant. Basically, we just want to pay you for what you're already doing, which is telling people about our company. You're just doing it inadvertently, but we feel like it's fair to reimburse you. And I, I thought about that and I thought about the conflict of interest, but the, um, and I did ultimately do it because I love that company. But the amazing thing was it was like f to the dollar what I had sort of put out as an intention. And then <laughs> like a year, like that year also, we, you know, I came out of med school, I was 
had seven years of medical training plus three years of prerequisites with four kids. It was definitely like a, uh, sort of like a, you know, a loss. And in terms of my earning potential at that time, I had to cut back because I was in my training and you can only do so much at one time. And um, so I came out with, you know, med school loans that were now needing to be repaid. And so, you know, I remember saying to my husband, okay, at the end of this year, I want this money to be paid back. I want my credit card zeroed out and I want $200,000 in the bank at the end of the year. My husband looked at me, he's like, because I'm not a pie in the sky, like I'm a hard worker grit kind of girl. And, um, and at the end of the year, that's exactly what happened. And so, you know, I wonder what, what's your take on setting intentions, sort of, you know, the hard work versus sort of getting in the flow of the universe as people talk about and kind of, you know, our friend Gabby Bernstein talks about that. A lot of people who are super smart are believers in this stuff. Yeah. You know, I'm not an expert on it, so I'm not sure I can give you any sort of, this is purely, you know, Amanda's feelings, but I've had some, my life has shifted so much in the last 10 years where I literally am living out my wildest dreams in virtually every area of my life. And it's so funny because I have bad days. I mean, I had a legal issue last year that was just like months long and massive headache, but it was just, it was temporary and it's gone. And when I look around, I go, oh my God, my life is the one that I dreamed of. I never, ever, ever, ever thought was even possible. And I think that it, it happened because I was in alignment with myself. Remember how I told you I was going to therapy for many years because I thought I was too ambitious and I wasn't being a good mom and a good wife. Yep. I was really out of alignment and nothing was working. I think that uh, my, my experience is that big things happen when you set positive intentions and you think because they're in alignment with something in the universe. Again, I am not an expert in this area, but what that happens to me as well when I know that I am in direction with my purpose and when I am actually living according to that as opposed to trying to fix myself or mold myself to be something to make other people happy. I love that. Alignment is the word I used to. And I tend to be someone who doesn't sort of externalize, you know, magical thinking. I tend to think of it's like, okay, this is what happens. It's like when you think about buying a Prius, all of a sudden you see Priuses on the road. Although I, I owned a Prius for a while and I don't think about buying a Prius ever again. But, you know, it's sort of like when we start to put our intention or our focus externally, that's in harmony with what we're feeling internally everything is kind of moving in that direction. So it's really, um, I love that you use that word alignment. So you wrote this book because you found your, well, well you started Daily Worth. I cannot believe it. You started it like you were sending emails when you were in labor, right? It's incredible. The nurses literally were laughing at me. Like, why are you on your computer? You're about to give birth. I was like, hold on, hold on. I got to send this email out to my 12 subscribers. <laughs> you know, having been a midwife for 20 something years before I went to medical school, my experience is actually that when birth happens in the context of your actual real life, it actually goes really well. And the fact that you were doing that sounds to me like you were not terrified of your birth process and you were just sort of going about your business and birth happened as part of your business, which is exactly what, you know, our, our ancestors would have done. It's just their business might've been in the field or in the kitchen or, you know, on a hunt as opposed to on a computer. It's really kind of cool, actually. Yeah. It also helped my second child. I already, you know, if it was my first away, it's yeah. like <laughs> petrified, no idea what was going on, but no, I was like, I've been here, done this. I know what's going on. 
you know, I'd, um, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> so this book is part of your mission. It's part of why you started Daily Worth. If you could sum up your mission in terms of women and finances, what would that be? And what would you hope women to most take from this book? Well, over the next 15 years, we're experiencing the largest wealth transfer ever in the United States. And women currently control about $5 trillion of U.S. assets. And that number, it could increase by another 10 trillion to 15 trillion over the next 15 years. I mean, it's an enormous amount of wealth changing hands. And some studies say that as much as two thirds of that money is going into the hands of women. And I don't know about you, but I was very present to the Women's March on Washington. And I have a very strong desire for women to have the same rights and freedoms and influence that men do. And I think that this wealth transfer is the greatest opportunity for women to step into the power that we already have. I believe that a lot of the rules weren't created by women, but we're the ones that follow them. And that creates um, unhappy lives and a lot of unnecessary suffering. And so I, my mission is for every woman who has the privilege of having anywhere between $10,000 and millions of dollars to her name and anywhere in between is to understand how that money is being directed and influenced because this is an opportunity for women to have a whole new level of power. But if we don't engage with our finances and understand it, then it's going to be a massive missed opportunity. And with the book and the information that women can get on a daily basis with Daily Worth, because you send great emails with varying levels of um, information that's not jargony, but it's very understandable. Do you feel like that's a really great place for women to start? Should women also, in general, have their own financial advisor? What's your thought? The financial advisor question is tricky because um, financial advisors can be quite expensive and it's some some are great in terms of really helping you and others are just there to manage your money, which um, you can have. Uh, there's tons of Internet banks and web platforms that can do that for you if you're um, at much more affordable cost. So I would say the first thing for anyone listening here is to either buy my book worth it or to sign up for dailyworth.com's newsletter. Um, you can also go to, I have, I have two other platforms. One is a, a whole other business, which I'll tell you about, um, that might interest you. The first is a, is a tool called moneytype.me. Um, that's a web address, moneytype.me. And if you go there, it's like, it's kind of like a Myers-Briggs for your money that we developed so that you understand your money personality and you understand what motivates you and what your sabotage patterns are. So you things to look out for in terms of where you might go wrong with money. And then finally, I also own a financial services company. It's a SEC regulated financial institution called Worth Financial Management. It's at worthfm.com. And you can open up there an investment account, a savings account, and a retirement account. You open them all at once. And it's really low cost, really easy to use, clear, self-directed investment portfolios. You don't have to know anything. We pick the investments for you and, uh, and, and teach you about what's going on with your money as your money grows. That's how that platform works. So Amanda, hopefully those are a lot of ways that, you, thank you. I had to, I had to start the financial services company because I was really unhappy with everything that existed, especially for women. Yeah. I'm personally just for listeners, you know, I would never have somebody on the show who I don't admire their work. And Amanda just comes highly recommended through some smart, savvy women that I know. That's how we connected with each other. And I have followed Daily Worth and I do have a copy of her book. And 
you know, I'm, I'm personally going to be heading over to worthfm.com myself once my book flurry ends in the next few weeks. Tell us how we can get your book. Cause I think that truly it's, even if you're intimidated by the idea of understanding your finances, if you're a stay at home mom and this is all like, oh my gosh, I can't believe we, you know, talked about stopping breastfeeding at eight weeks or, you know, whatever, put your own judgments aside. I certainly have none of those judgments. And for those of you who follow me know, like it's whatever works for mom works for the family. But, um, we do need to understand our finances, your own finances. And I, I tell you this as a physician who ha- and midwife who has worked with women for 32 years, not at least having some hand on your finances can really be dangerous for you and your, and your family um, in the long run, because you just don't know not to be negative, but you just don't know what the future holds. And I think this book is a non-intimidating, actually really fun way to learn about them. So Amanda, tell us how to get your book. So it's for sale on February 7th in Barnes and Noble and Target. I'm so excited that Target bought my book. I love Target. And then there is, you can also go to amazon.com and put in worth it, Amanda Steinberg. There's a few other books called worth it. Um, or you can go to my personal website, which is amandasteinberg.net. So hopefully with all of those ways that you will be able to find it. Yes. And we will be putting all the links below. And you have a, a Facebook page that you have just started doing Facebook Live on, which is a super fun medium. How can women find you there? Yep. It's facebook.com forward slash Amanda M. Steinberg. And I think the best thing is to go, if, you, if, if this is like URL soup here for you, just go to amandasteinberg.net. It's a central hub for all of these links and everything you could, all my businesses, all my books, all my social media platforms. It's the central node from which everything is linked and presented. Yeah. And if it's URL soup, we'll have all the links below too. So you can just click on anyone that you want to go to and any of them will take you back to Amanda's amazing work, which thank you so much for really just stepping forward on a tough issue a tough issue for women. And, you know, it's, to me, it's like women who go to MIT and decide, or, you know, I don't know if anyone's seen the movie Hidden Figures. I think there are areas of our lives as women that we have thought that we shouldn't or couldn't know about. And you can do this and have a happy life. I mean, Amanda, you know, you say you're living your wildest dreams. I'm definitely living a life that I hoped for and um, it's just getting better and and easier all the time. And especially as I know how to be comfortable being empowered. So thank you for putting that in our hands and please everybody get a copy of Amanda's book and then you can write comments on the iTunes um, under my iTunes. You can write comments over on Amanda's Facebook page and head over to Daily Worth. Thank you so much. Aviva, you're a blessing. Thank you so much for being so open to my work and letting me into your world. And thanks to all of you listening today. This is a really difficult and sometimes yucky subject. So thank you for for hanging with us through it. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Natural MD Radio. If you did, please go to avivaram.com and join the conversation about the show on my blog. And while you're there, be sure to sign up for my newsletter. It's free and it's jam-packed with powerful tips to help you take back your health naturally. That's avivaram.com. Take care and see you next time.